we all struggle with the notion or the temptation toward self-determination in life. We're tempted to rule our own lives and reject the rule of the king who is over us. Welcome to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. And today we continue in our series called Two Ways to Live, where we examine the six aspects of the gospel. Today's part two of a message called The King and the Rebellion. Now, as much as you're an Elvis fan, this is not that king. Am I right? Definitely not that king. So in this case, the king would be God. Yeah. So we see throughout the Bible that God is the creator, but as the creator, he is also the ruler of over his creation, not just over his creation, but the ruler of everything in his creation. And again and again and again throughout the Old Testament and moving into the New and into the book of Revelation, there's expression after expression of worship to the king. And as the king, God has those who are under his rule and reign, and that is the people of this earth. You know, as much as we hear about people nowadays who are referred to as nuns, not Catholic nuns, but people who have no religion at all. Right. I think a lot of people probably still acknowledge a creator, don't they? I think so. I think intuitively, and the scripture tells us this, right? That in Romans chapter one, that we have what we need to recognize the glory of God in creation. And people do, despite all of the different theories of how things come about, People do recognize that there is a power, there is a deity bigger than themselves, and that if he's creating, then he is also ruling in a certain way. Well, with that, we'll hear more about the very concept from Pastor Nick Gatsky in today's message, part two. It's called The King and the Rebellion. Here's Pastor Nick. Your words have tremendous power to affect change in your life and in the life of other people around you. Words influence global treaties Words initiate wars. Words can change an economy and words can change a life. But with all of that power, none of your words are powerful enough to simply speak something into existence out of nothing. That's exactly what God has done. Try to imagine the type of power that you would have if you could say but a word and something would materialize in front of you. You can't even begin to comprehend, but that is exactly what God has done. And so what is the posture of people who stand before such a powerful and holy God whose words merely cause things to come into being? Verse 9 tells us, we stand in awe and we fear him. God is the creator. God is the king. God is the king. God is the king. You know, this is key to understanding the gospel and how to live because most of us function with this really funny dynamic when it comes to viewing God. And you might just simplify it by saying a little God or a big God. (laughs) 
most of us want a little God that we can minimize when we see something that we want that he forbids. (laughs) I want a little God in those moments. I don't want a big majestic king. But I do, most of us want a really big God when a pandemic hits (laughs) or a war is about to kick off. We want a powerful God then. We want a little God when life is comfortable because we don't want him to get in the way of that comfort. But we want a big God when personal crisis hits or when our self-sufficiency is revealed to be impotent. Friends, you will never fully appreciate the gospel if you minimize who God is and deny his transcendent being and his ruling over the world. God is the king. That's the picture of him in Revelation chapter four. Look at it with me. Starting in verse two, the apostle John writes that he was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Skipping down to verse nine. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, by the way, that's the king who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Worthy are you? For you created. God is the king. And that leads to the second reality. That our biggest problem is rebellion against the king. (laughs) Many of us would say that our biggest problem in life is other people. (laughs) We'd be wrong. Many of us would say our biggest problem in life is not having enough money. We'd be wrong. Many of us in life would say our biggest problem in life is our sin. And you'd be right. But what is your sin? Sin is indicative of a posture or actions that point to something beyond themselves. Sins point to rebellion. The essential nature of sin is a rejection of God as our ruler. It's a rejection of him as the king. We see this from the very beginning. A desire for self-determination 
which can also be described as a desire for self-rule or a desire for me to become the king of my little existence. Genesis chapter three, Satan tempts Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Her desire for elevated status to know what God knew was a moment in which she said, not with her words, but with her actions, I want to be the king. (laughs) And in this sense, we can all relate to Eve because we all struggle with the notion or the temptation toward self-determination in life. It's the access point of a relationship with God and where sin enters in. We're tempted to rule our own lives and reject the rule of the king who is over us. The Bible is replete with example after example after example of how self-determination ultimately leads us toward a rejection of God and some wicked and terrible results. Think with me about the book of Judges. Some of you might be familiar with that book. Judges is a book in early Israeli history. The judges were military leaders who had some government roles as well. They were leaders of the people in Israel during that particular period. And we see account after account after account of the people in Israel, God's people, the people who were supposed to be set apart for a very particular purpose, the people who were supposed to be a reflection of the divine to the world. We see account after account of them just degrading morally moving into further rebellion against God as their king. And you might remember the resounding theme, the theme that describes what this looks like. It says it in the capstone verse of Judges 21-25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now that's interesting. They didn't try to do wrong these people, necessarily. They did what was right according to how they would order the world. They did what was right in their own eyes. And as a result, they individually said, well, I want to be the king. And so if I was the king, I would order the world this way. And so you get a bunch of little kings running around, all ordering the world in different types of ways. And what happens? The whole thing devolves into wickedness and degradation and horror for the people. Even in trying to do right, they did wrong. And the same is true for me. And the same is true for you. Sometimes even in trying to do right, we end up doing wrong. We make an evaluation to order the world in a certain way that we think is right. We can't see the results in the moment, but when they come, we realize how wrong we actually were. Fast forward with me to the book of 1 Samuel. We see another picture of God's people, Israel, wanting to be like the other nations of the world instead of following the rule of God as their king, they want a physical king. And so it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you can flip there, look at the screen behind me. 
Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel, Samuel's the prophet at Ramah, and they said to him, behold, you are old. (laughs) Can we stop there for a second? That's usually not a good start. This is my first sermon back from sabbatical. So let me just rabbit trail a little bit to say, it's usually not a great start to begin with you. Behold, you're old. You guys are so gracious with me in so many ways. But one way that's not a great way to start with your pastor when he comes back from sabbatical is, behold, your beard has a lot more white than it did when I saw you three months ago. (laughs) It's, behold, you are old. Getting older. But they say to Samuel, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. And the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them to show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. God says, They've rejected me from being the king over them. And we see in the scripture that this rejection or this rebellion against the king is universal in its scope. Isaiah 53 says that this desire for self-determination is something that infects us all. 53.6 says, all we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3.23 intimates the same reality with some different language. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the rebellion in that regard against the king is universal in its scope. It's also incredibly personal in its scope. Pause with me for a moment and think and consider some of the ways you personally rebel against God as your king. Because I'm sure that there's probably some of us here that are thinking, well, I don't feel like a rebel. And I'm certainly not involved in an insurrection. And so why are you coming in so hot on this whole sort of massive rebellion idea? I mean, sure, I make some mistakes. Yes, and even in my mistakes, I sin. But I don't view my sin as a rebellion against God. But here's the thing. If God is the source of all life and that God is the king because he's the source of everything in the world, he's the king over everything in the world, and That king has ordered things in a particular way. And then he tells his creation how they are to live out in that particular order. Then every time you click on one of those little images on the internet and look at illicit material or engage in sexual sin, you are saying with your actions, God's rule does not apply in that area of your life. 
Every time you move into a season where you greedily hoard your resources, your money, and you make those material resources the vehicle for your self-fulfillment, instead of growing in generosity for the sake of God's kingdom, then you indicate that your kingdom is more important than his kingdom. (laughs) Kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, Every time you disobey your parents, you are saying or you are rebelling against the king who placed that authority over you. And parents, that's why we have to teach our kids the nature of authority because we don't want them to rebel against the king. And adults, every time you break the law, You are rebelling against the king who placed that authority over you. And every time I covet or I longingly look and ponder on what others have and I seek to try to gain those things for myself, I am saying that I'm not content with the king's provision for me. Our biggest problem is rebellion against the king. In fact, every time someone gossips or slanders, they display that they're not taking the king's order seriously. We rebel. And First John indicates that even anger and hatred are some of the worst types of rebellion when it says in First John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Friends, I could go on and on and on. We could imagine all of the individual sins we have and that we commit and that we have propensity to. But here's the thing. You could evaluate all the sins in your life through the grid of God's rule and reign as the king and how those individual thoughts, words, or deeds are a form of rebellion against that king. God's ordered his creation. Life proceeds from him. He rules actively. He's told us how to live and to follow him. But our biggest problem is rebellion against the king. And so the question becomes, is there a way back? Is there a way back to the rule of the king? And when you look at the themes of the Bible, it's really interesting. People want to be self-determining. It doesn't go so well. This room is filled with people who were self-determining and figured out that it didn't go so well. Then the people want an earthly king. They shouldn't want an earthly king, a man king. They should want God as their king, but God allows them to have a man king. And as time goes on, these man kings never do for them what the God king can do. Never provide for them the way the God king can provide. And in fact, very often lead them to their very destruction. And so the question is, is there a way back to the God King? (laughs) And the answer, of course, is yes. Because in the coming of Jesus, we receive the man King that we've wanted (laughs) and the God King that we need. In the coming of Jesus, we see fully God and fully man, the king that we need. Galatians chapter four, verses four and five says it this way. 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law, i.e. the rebels who broke the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Revelation chapter 1 refers to Jesus and talks about him in this kingly type of language. It describes him in verse 5 and 6. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, our rebellion by his blood, and make us a kingdom of priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen Jesus offers the way back to live under the rule of God with all of its benefits there are two ways to live and the question remains will you rebel against the king indefinitely or will you live under the rule of this king In 1875, a British poet named William Ernest Henley published a short poem that many of you know. This poem expressed a way to cope with life's circumstances. It's called Invictus. It ends with these famous last two lines. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of of my soul. In popular culture, those last two lines represent some kind of heroic, self-sufficient stand against evil and injustice without submitting to God. It's the ultimate expression of self-determination. I'm the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Journalist Daniel Hannan's calls the poem a final and terrible act of defiance. The horror might indeed have awaited Henley, but he would go there on his own terms, leaving the spittle sliding down his master's face. For over a hundred years, Henley's poem has inspired many, many people in the 1980s The poem encouraged former South African President Nelson Mandela through the dark period of his life when he was in prison. Years later, Clint Eastwood used it to title his popular film about the South African rugby team. Sadly, it was a great influence to the Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh, who was responsible for the deaths of 168 men, women, and children and injuries to over 800 more. While he was in his execution chair... He scribbled the word Invictus on a piece of paper and handed it to the guards as his last words. 16 years after Henley first published Invictus, a British preacher named Charles Spurgeon offered another philosophy on life. It was June 7th, 1891. And it was the last sermon that Spurgeon would preach. He urged the people to submit to a better captain. He said, every person must serve somebody. 
We have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend on it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the uniform of Christ, you will find him so meek and lovely and lowly of heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. If you could see our captain, you would go down on your knees and beg him to let you enter the ranks of those who follow him. It is heaven to serve Jesus. That concludes today's message from Dr. Nick Gatsky on A Better Word. I'm going to pull Pastor Nick back in the studio here because so many of us are setting goals for the new calendar year and we want to know what God wants us to do with our lives. How did you know that your calling was to become a pastor? Well, I mean, it was through a sequence of events and I think probably the best way I could describe it was as I was growing in my Christian life, I had this overwhelming sense that I would not be satisfied in life doing anything but serving the Lord in full-time ministry. I thought I'd go into finance or something like that. I was good at math. I liked money. I thought I'd use math to make money. But at the end of the day, as I was growing, I just knew that I wouldn't be satisfied unless I was serving the Lord. And that's through a variety of people in my life and through reading God's word and through prayer. He made those things clear. I appreciate you sharing that because somebody needs to hear that and someone needs even more guidance as to how they know what God wants them to do. Do you need some help? We've got a resource this month available for your donation to A Better Word. It's a book by Philip Jensen and Tony Payne called Guidance and the Voice of God. And it walks you through godly decision-making and knowing what God wants you to do with your life. Would you like a copy? Go today and donate at abetterword.org. That's abetterword.org. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.